CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Friday, Options Actions fans. I'm Courtney Reagan in this evening for Melissa Lee. The markets cap off a volatile week with another volatile session, regaining some of Thursday's sharp losses, but ending nowhere near today's highs. Economic uncertainty at the heart of that volatility, some of it crystallizing in the U.S. dollar and spilling over into the rest of the globe. Carter Worth is going to take us on a trip around the world of worry. But then, as the world turns, so do the wheels on lift cars. Tony Zhang is going to take us on a drive in the opposite direction with a recovery play in that name. And finally, what if you're caught in the middle? You rode the recent rally, but then you got in trouble with this week's weakness. Don't panic. Mike Coe can help you shift gears. It's time to risk less to make more. So let's get right to it and kick things off with the dollar. Seeing a bit of a rebound today after more dovish commentary out of the Fed earlier this week and put pressure on the greenback. The dollar still down more than 5% from its all-time highs and just narrowly positive on the year. The Emerging Markets ETF, which typically benefits from a weaker dollar, also seeing some gains today, but still underperforming the broader market this year. Our chart master, Carter Worth, warns there could be more trouble brewing. So, Carter, take it away. What do you got for us? Well, you covered all the uh, salient points, and and that's exactly (laughs) right. We know that emerging markets are often uh, debt-laden and borrowing in dollars. When the dollar weakens, that deflates the the debt. So that's a good thing, a weak dollar typically. Or a lot of commodity exporting countries, weak dollar is good for them. And the dollar plunged 7% from its peak of just two, three months ago. And while emerging markets did do well, they've still underperformed the S&P. And I think that's the problem. Let's look at a few charts. So the first one here, not a chart, but just to put this in context, we know that the dollar peaked on March 23rd. And we know, of course, the S&P bottomed. Uh, As there's fear, of course, people flight to safety in the dollar. Now, if you look at the next uh, slide, what we know is here is that 7% decline from the March 23rd low. That weakness in principle is good for emerging markets. And yet, EEM, the ETF, uh, emerging markets, have underperformed the S&P with that tailwind of the weak dollar. I think that's part of the problem. Next slide, take a look at just simply the numbers. So this is SPY versus EEM from the March low. And again, with the dollar weakness, you still don't have outperformance. And typically, you in, well, almost always, when you get a real dollar drawdown, you do get emerging market relative performance, not this time. And finally, the chart. Take a look at here a five-year chart of EEM. It's a two-panel chart. The top panel is EEM itself, and you can see how we break trend. And then we've had this big ricochet back to the underside of the trend line, and we hit our head right there. But most importantly is the relative performance, the bottom panel. So all of the strength, and yet no relative performance to the S&P, basically wallowing at five-year lows. It's not good. I think you've had a big move, and now I think the dollar is going to perk up. We saw a bit of that today, which would then put pressure on EEM. There's been so much to think about here, Carter. I have to admit, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about about the emerging markets, so I'm glad you sort of brought it back home here for us. So, Mike, what do you make of all of this and then how we trade it going into next week? 
Yeah, so, I mean, there's another thing that we actually saw this week that would give you concern, not just about emerging markets or not necessarily playing on a, on a rebound in the dollar necessarily, but just whether we're in a risk-on or risk-off or just a more cautious type of an environment. I mean, another thing that we certainly know is that if you take a look at something like EEM, which is a basket of emerging market equities, you're going to expect to see some correlation with equities globally generally. And we obviously saw some cracks in the ice there yesterday for sure. And today, although we did finish a little bit higher on the day, I'm not sure that the kind of price action we saw is the one that should give everybody a great deal of comfort. It would have been a lot different had we opened this morning lower and finished higher than it did opening higher and then sort of muddling our way through to a mildly better you know, result. EEM as an ETF also is an interesting instrument because it contains a lot of very different kinds of companies. You know, the largest constituent of that index is BABA, and that's a very different company than Petrobras or Vale, which are going to be more cyclical and certainly much riskier places to be. So I think if you're thinking that correlation could spike up again, uh, that we could see an increase in volatility, kind of like what we saw yesterday, and also playing off both the technical and fundamental factors that Carter outlined here, I think one of the things you might look at doing is putting on a put spread. Now, implied volatility, the price of options, is a little bit higher now than it was going back six months ago, but it is substantially lower than it was at the depths that we saw in March. And so I think that this is the kind of structure that still makes sense to essentially be net long premium. And I was looking at the August $39, $34 put spread. The 39 puts are the first out of the money puts that you could buy. And when I was looking at that earlier today, those were costing just a little over two bucks, 205. And then you would sell the 34s against it for 75 cents. Net net, you're spending $1.30. We usually look on these put spreads to pay somewhere between 20 and 25%. This is obviously marginally higher than that. But I think it's well justified given what we're looking at here and given the price action that we've seen over the course of the last two days. Tony, what do you make of that? Is that worth paying a little bit more for this trade? Does this make sense to you? I actually thought Mike got a really good price on this particular trade. First of all, I couldn't agree more with Carter's charts. I really think that dollar is going to move a little bit higher, and you have a negative 70% correlation between dollar and EEM, so I do think you have a pretty good probability of this ETF moving lower. But what I actually really liked about Mike's trade is that the $34 strike that he's selling, he's collecting about $0.75. Cents. That's offsetting almost a third of the cost of the $39 puts that he's buying. So he's really reducing the cost of those puts that he's buying and gives him only about almost a three to one risk to reward ratio on this particular trade. So I actually think it's a pretty cheap trade to make because he is only risking about 3% of the underlying ETS value to take this bearish bet. Huh. Well, Tony, stick here because if you're feeling bullish about the economic recovery and looking for a name that could drive the reopening trade forward, I understand you have a way to put a little extra lift into our portfolios. Tony, tell us what you're working with here. Yeah, so as all 50 states head into opening, reopening, we know that there are at least eight states that have seen a significant uptick in terms of COVID-19 cases. So while I don't think this is necessarily going to derail the reopening, I do think that this is going to push consumers potentially to use rideshare as opposed to public transportation. And I specifically think that Lyft is better suited for this uptick than Uber. Now, if we first look at the chart, I think the chart here for Lyft is fairly constructive. You have a breakout above $35 resistance. It's come back 
back to retest that as support. And I think this is really coupled with a relative strength constructive for the stock to continue moving higher. Now, the company did provide guidance here a couple of weeks ago, which provides us with a lot of information as far as how they're growing. So what we saw is from April to May, they grew rideshare growth by about 26%. Bike growth, uh, bike rides were up 118%, and they lowered their EBITDA uh, loss by about 35 million for Q2. And if we look at the cities that have reopened, the number of rideshare growth is actually double to triple the national average. So I expect that as states and cities reopen, that's going to significantly boost that growth in terms of rideshares. So. If you think about the elevated implied volatility here over the past few days and the fact that the stock has moved quite a bit on this positive guidance, I think that there's somewhat limited upside here on Lyft, but I do think that $35 support here is pretty solid. So the trade structure I'm looking to use here is one to sell volatility. I'm going out to the July 10th weekly options expiration, and I'm selling the 36 and a half, 31 and a half put vertical. And I'm collecting about $3.20 for that 36 and a half put. And I'm paying about $1.30 for that 31 and a half put. Net net here, I'm collecting about $1.90 on this $5 wide credit spread, which is about 38% of the width. And the break even price here on this particular spread is about $34.60, which is right below the $35 support level that I expect Lyft to stay above. Well, Mike, Tony, like your trade, what do you think? You're going to applaud what he's working with here for Lyft? Yeah, despite the fact that I was buying a put spread and he's selling one, I do like it. You know, there's a time and place for every trade, and sometimes it makes sense to buy put spreads, and sometimes it makes sense to sell them. I think what Tony has outlined is a very good case for selling a put spread here. Number one, whenever you're looking at selling vertical spreads and you're collecting somewhere close to 40% of the distance between the strikes at the outset, that's pretty attractive math when you take a look at it, because even if it runs to that other strike, uh, the long strike on the downside, it's not going to go to the maximum value of the spread, in this case $5, immediately. You will have time to take a look at how you're going to trade it. The other thing about it is that I also agree that we're not expecting to see this thing absolutely take off here. Uh, this is actually a stock that over the course of the last 12 months hasn't looked all that terrific, if you ask me. So if we're going to see an upside, it's likely to be mild. And finally, in this space, you really have only two companies to think about. Uber is one, Lyft is the other, and of the two, I definitely prefer Lyft. So, you know, when you take those three things and you combine them together, I'll leave the technicals to the guys who know more about it, Tony and Carter. But when I look at the options trade, this one makes sense to me, and I, and I definitely prefer Lyft to Uber. Yeah, I'm going to toss the ball back over to you, Carter. What do you make of the levels here on this Lyft trade? Well, the key is that you almost have to do it as a put spread, uh, meaning you have to have something more nuanced than just making a directional bet. Because as a chart, as a stock, there's only one word, disaster. I mean, if your first day in life is your best day, not good, right? We know that this stock IPO'd on the 28th of March at $72, printed 87 the next day, and basically went straight down thereafter. I mean, hitting a low of, what, 14, 15? And yes, already we've rallied 180%. So one, you've had a huge rally. Two, it's been an established downtrend its entire career. And... There is no big lift, I would think, coming day to day, week over week, month over month, so that a more nuanced approach like this is really the way to do it. It is a bummer way to think about that, huh? The best day, the first day, the best day. I hope all of our 
best days are still many years to come. Well, coming up next, did you sail too far offshore and get caught in this week's market milestorm? Fear not. Captain Co. can help you navigate. Get back in the channel. And for everything Options Action, make sure to check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter. We're back right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. If you're just joining us, check out the huge reversal in the market this week. The S&P 500 finishing nearly 5% lower than where it closed last Friday. And it wasn't just big-time traders who got burned. Kate Rooney joins us with more on how retail investors are faring. Hi, Kate. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Hey, Courtney. It was a wild week for a lot of retail investors. Bullish traders using Robinhood had been picking stocks hit by the pandemic, which saw the best returns over the past two months. But as the market's momentum turned around yesterday, these top names on the app were all in the red. According to third-party tracker RobinTrack, Ford was the top pick. That was down about 10% yesterday. The airlines, meanwhile, which had been a winner for Robinhood investors, as those rebounded, were down double digits yesterday. A lot of those names, though, were back up again today with the broader market. But another name seeing surging demand and trading volume on Robinhood today, Hertz. That stock seesawing this week despite its May bankruptcy filing. It's popping after hours following that court decision, allowing the company to do a secondary stock offering of a billion shares, even though the value of that stock could get wiped out. Barclays, meanwhile, weighing in on this trend this morning, saying that Robinhood and other retail traders are not behind this year's rally. Their favorite stocks tend to underperform. Analysts say more Robinhood customers moving into a stock has corresponded to lower returns, not higher returns. Courtney? This is also fascinating, Kate, and I know you're going to continue to keep us updated on all of these uh, retail investors' moves. If you happen to be one of the investors Kate's talking about who maybe got caught off guard by this week's wicked reversal, or maybe you're stuck in a position that just hasn't worked out for you, not all is lost. Professor Mike Coe has a way to rescue some of those lost profits. He is here with the call to action. Take it away, Professor Coe. Yeah, so it's interesting. You know, I don't think there's an options trader on the planet who hasn't heard the following request. I bought a stock. Now it's down. Can I use options to bail myself out? Well, the bad news is that, of course, if you've lost money, there's nothing in the options market that's going to necessarily give that back to you. But there are ways that you might be able to make more money back than you lost if the stock simply returns to whence the level from whence you bought it. Now, Here's a situation in Ford. I think this is maybe one of the most picture-perfect cases I've seen. If you bought the stock earlier this week, perhaps on Monday, which was its high for the past month, uh, obviously you've taken some significant punishment since that time. Uh, So what can you do in the options market? First of all, you want to look at stock recovery strategies. That's what we call these when you've bought a stock badly. And I think if you bought Ford on Monday, I think we can all agree you bought it badly. The other thing is you... When you do this, you're probably expecting the stock to encounter some form of resistance if it returns back 
to the level at which you bought it. Now, that makes sense because, as Carter often will say, people who bought it badly are very happy to recover the money that they've lost and are looking to exit without any pain, and that creates a lot of upside supply. And finally, one of the things you don't want to do is simply start throwing more money at the problem by doubling down, for example. If, it's, if you love the stock at 7.5, therefore you have to love it even more at 7, at 6.5, and, and so on. So one of the things you can use is a 1 by 2 call spread overlaid against your long stock position. When I was looking at this earlier today, you could buy one July 7 call. That would cost about $0.39. Cents, and then you could sell two of the eight strike calls against it for about 18 cents each. So by doing that, net-net, you're going to spend about three cents to put this trade on. Three cents per share, that is, so $3 per contract. And essentially, the idea here is that above that $7 strike that you're long, you're essentially going to double the gains that you have on your stock. So if it recovers back to that 7.5 level, you'll break even on your stock, but you're going to make 50 cents on the one by two call spread. And the reason I'm looking at that eight strike call to sell is because, of course, if it does get up to that level, then in fact, you will achieve what you'd originally intended to do, which was to buy the stock low and sell it higher. So if you're selling it at eight, that would indeed be a price higher than you bought it since it never reached that level this week. This is one of those situations where the stock has had a pullback, but not so far that you have to abandon it entirely. This is a situation that basically you're going to try to thread the needle a little bit here give your position a little bit of extra juice so that if it simply gets back to where you bought it, you'll end up being profitable instead of just breaking even. Okay, I got it. Mike Carter, what do you think? Does this help someone that bought Ford badly this week? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's, it gives them some hope, and that's the, uh, that's the point. <laughs> I think just conceptually that it's important to say this. It's, there's a common circumstance. If you were to look at DuPont, let's take a household name like DuPont or Ford Motor, of course, or American Airlines, they all have the common circumstance of incredible weakness, and they all double, right? I mean, uh, uh, American Airlines went from 10 to 20. DuPont went from 30 to 60, and of course, we know that Ford went from 4 to essentially 8. And there are hundreds like them. So it's not idiosyncratic to Ford, it's just that a lot of money, Robinhood, not Robinhood, has gone into beaten down names, and most of the moves were just way overdone. Yeah, a lot of these uh, interesting beaten down names this week. The Hertz one just still makes me scratch my head. Tony, what do you make of this trade? I know uh, you gave us your trade on Lyft earlier. Automaker, different play, different reasons. How does it look to you here? Yeah, so first of all, this particular type of strategy, as Mike called it, a repair strategy, is one that on the surface might be fairly complicated for someone who's never traded options before. But the better way to think about a one by two call spread here is think about selling a cover call on the stock that you own and then using that proceeds to buy a call debit spread. That's exactly what a call one by two spread actually is. But there are a few nuances about trading this type of strategy because it is a fairly creative way to utilize options to try to get yourself back to break even sooner, but there are two caveats to trading it. Number one, it doesn't provide any additional downside protection. So if you think Ford's going to continue moving lower, this strategy will not provide you any protection. You're probably better off just selling the stock. And conversely, if Ford actually rallies very quickly, this is actually going to show a paper loss at first, and you're going to have to hold on to this through the July expiration in order to really utilize this type of strategy. So it's a very creative way to utilize options to allow you to get yourself back to break even without putting on additional risk, and that's not very common to be able to do. And as Mike said, you know, if this is a trade that's gone against you, sometimes the best lesson to learn as an investor 
is to, cut a, is to cut your losses, take a small loss, move on to the next trade, as opposed to trying to find ways to get yourself back to break even, which typically means that you're taking on more risk, and that becomes a slippery slope. You know, trying to turn a small loser into a winner many times ends up blowing up your account. So that's how I think most investors should be thinking about this type of strategy. A lot of lessons there. Also, hold on, stomach through those paper losses if you see them initially to make this play out to you through that expiration. Thank you, gentlemen. Up next, crude getting crushed this week, falling more than 8%. We'll tell you what the energy meltdown means for one of our traders. Plus, we are taking your tweets. Make sure to send us your questions at Options Action. We're going to answer some of them on air. We'll be back right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. It's time to take a look back at a couple of our open trades. Last week, Co and Carter said the energy rally might be running out of gas. This has come a long way, uh, crude also, and I think it's going to be right to harvest gains if you're long. And for those who are looking for new short sales, XOP, uh, that's our idea. I was looking to July, the 60.55 put spread, bearing in mind that options are still pretty expensive in this space, deservedly so. You could spend about $1.35 for that put spread, paying $2.70 for the 60 puts, selling the 55s against it for $1.35. The XOP plunged about 10% since that trade. So, Mike, what are you doing now? Yeah, so I often ask people to follow us on Twitter. I pay attention to what you guys tweet to us as well. And so I know a lot of you have already taken your profits on this trade yesterday when it got very close to the short strike. That's what you should do. You buy these verticals, runs to your short strike, take your profits and run. If you want to press bearish bets, you can, but you should take the money on this one. Okay. Meanwhile, Tony Zhang said it might be time to get long on the consumer. I managed to break out above that 185 level and came back to retest that as support this week and is starting to be fairly constructive on a move higher. You couple that with the fact that it's bounced off the 20-day moving average multiple times and I think you have a really good risk reward here for a long trade on Dollar General. I'm going out to July and I'm looking at the 185 200 vertical spread here. I'm paying about $5.80 for that July 185, and I'm collecting about $1.10 on that July 200 call option. Dollar General hung in surprisingly well this week, down only 2% since that trade. So, Tony, what are you doing now? Yeah, so I love the fact that Dollar General has held up. It's trading just at 184, which is the support level that I reference in the in the in the trade. And the fact that the trade is still flat, I'm going to hold on to this trade since I have all the way through July. I think Dollar General will still continue to move higher as consumers come back. Okay, you're holding on. Just as Mike said, we're reading your tweets, and up next, we're going to answer them. We'll be back in two. Welcome back to Options Action. We have time for a quick tweet. How would you play a Microsoft $200 July call position? Techs outperform, but can that continue? Carter. You know, I think it's going to be real close. Uh, you'll probably end up at 200 but you'll have a lot of decay. I think I'd sell at 210 and bring my break-even price lower. 
Thank you, Mike, Carter, and Tony. That does it for us here on Options Action. We'll be back next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.